if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, you'll know that we're going through a series in 1 John, uh, the first letter of the Apostle John to a church, likely in Ephesus. This church has been going through um, trials, and specifically the trials they've been going through is the rising of false teachers, teaching a doctrine that's different than that of the apostles. They're teaching lies. And they're actually not only teaching lies, but claiming that theirs is the truth. And that these believers are left behind and they, they don't know Christ really. And John pastorally writes this letter and gives them three sort of tests or evaluations for them to be able to see and confirm that it is them who are in the truth. To not hear the voices of false teachers that say you need something more. But he gives them three sort of evaluations to help them see that, it, that they are in Christ. And these three tests, as, as you've probably heard from our brothers Bill and Ben as they preach through these, um, they're, they're, the first one being doctrinal and what we believe, what you profess about Christ. Being born of God it will produce in you a right confession of Jesus Christ, that He is God-made man, that He is not only a man, but that He is fully God as well. There will also be an evaluation of love, how you love the brothers and sisters in Christ, and if you do, there is a way to confirm that you are established in the truth. But today, John gives us a section that will talk specifically about a moral test in the life of believers and what being born of God produces in our life. So if you are a note-taker, the main point that we'll be looking to drive home today is this. Your life of righteousness shows your sonship of the righteous God. Your life of righteousness shows your sonship of the righteous God. There are three sub-points. One being God's children practice righteousness. Number two being remaining in unrepentant sin proves someone was never of God. Sorry, it's long, but that's what it is. Remaining in unrepentant sin proves someone was never of God. And the third point being, your life points to who your father is. Your life points to who your father is. And don't think it's lost on me how repetitive these sound, but that's actually parallel to John's style of routing, writing. He's not like Paul that writes linearly, but he's more circular and repetitive in, in what he's saying. It's more these themes that keep coming up in different ways. So if you open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, we'll be reading chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to grab the one in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that is our gift to you today. Please take that with you. We'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2, the end of it, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10. I'll read it now. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. In verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his neighbor. So point number one being God's children practice righteousness. And we're going to look for, for that point at uh, the first couple verses, uh, verse 28 of chapter 2 to chapter 3, verse 3. So starting in verse 28, we see John start saying, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We see John continuing to tenderly exhort these believers to abide in him. He starts off with little children, his pastoral and tender tone. But now he introduces the danger of not abiding in Christ. Namely, it's shame instead of confidence at his coming. Last week, we looked at holding or abiding to Christ or in Christ by holding on to the message that we've heard. Namely, that the Christ was indeed fully man, that he was born, that he took on flesh and lived and died and resurrected in bodily form. And certainly we would be ashamed at his coming if we were to embrace a belief different than that. But our doctrine is not the only thing that John has in mind when he writes this. See, as he continues in the next verse and onward, we see John remind us that abiding in Christ is not only evidenced by professing what's true of him with our mouth, but professing what's true of him with our lives as well. I remember John is writing to a church that has been afflicted by false teaching that said that the Christ was not one with the man Jesus, that the flesh is evil. Christ did not take on flesh. Knowing God has nothing to do with what you do with your physical body. In this physical realm, it's about reaching this higher enlightenment. And the implication of this false teaching is that, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do with your bodies. You can be of God while doing sinful things, but it's okay. You can stay there. You don't have to be concerned because they're separate things. But John, like a tender and protective shepherd of a little flock, says, no, 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 don't don't believe that. Your belonging to God is evidenced by what you do as much as by what you say. We start seeing him get into this in in verse 29. You see verse 29. 
He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I think the first thing that I'd like us to note about this, this uh, verse is that it's not a scolding text. He's not saying God's righteous, so get your life together. That's not what he's saying. Though as Christians, we ought to kill sin, yes, and we will see that in a moment. But as a whole, that's not the tone of this passage. What he's doing is reassuring believers who have now been assaulted by false teaching that, that it's those over there who truly know God because they have an enlightenment that's disconnected from what's physical. He's saying, no, no, it's those who practice righteousness that are born of him. Like our brother Ben helpfully put it a couple of weeks ago, these believers are, in a way, asking John, they're telling us that it's them who have come to really know God. How do we know that it's us? And John is telling him, God does not contradict himself. God is righteous. If you know that he is righteous, it is those who practice righteousness that, have, that are born of him. His nature is reflected in his sons and daughters. It's consistent. He says, it's those who practice righteousness that have been born of him. And now John brings these believers to reflect and meditate on what he just said. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He's like, yeah, yeah, you heard me. I, I said that. Begotten of God, born of Him. Look how amazing God's love is for us, that He has made us His children. We're born of Him. Why is this so astounding? Why is John so excited about this? Well, not only has God forgiven us, those who are in Christ, not only has God forgiven us and redeemed us, but he's adopted us as his children. He's made us his own. Our connection to him is now undeniable. It's, it's unbreakable and unhindered. His name is imprinted on us. We are his. It's not distant. He's not just the one who set us free, but the one who made us free so that we can be his. And John continues, and so we are. And so we are. This is not only a title for us to be called, but it's a reality about those in Christ Jesus. They are sons and daughters of God. And because of this, John says, this is the reason the world doesn't know us. If you continue in that same verse, in verse 3, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What do you mean, John? What do you mean the world did not know him? Well, you, you don't have to flip there now, but if you were to flip back to the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, you, it might sound familiar that he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. God came into the world, and the world did not know him as God. It did not recognize him. And John tells these believers that their relation or their resemblance to their father is such that the world has the same reaction to them that it did to him. It does not recognize them. 
believers might call something honoring to the Lord, but all the world would see is just extreme. We might call something faithful, and the world would call it ancient practice. We might call it loving. The world would call it hateful. We call it patience. They say naive. We say sacrificial and generous. They might call it just the wrong investment. God's children act like God because they're his children. But what the world sees is just a bunch of silly people. It does not know them because it did not know him. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. However, this barrier, this blindness that the world has towards God and those that are his, to recognize them as such, this barrier will not be forever. If you continue to verse 2, John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So God the Son came into the world once already, and the world did not know him. But when he returns, he will return in glory. Then there will be no denying, there will be no doubting, no confusion. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. What John is not saying is that we are his children now and when he returns, we are going to become something else that is no longer his children. No, those in Christ will always be sons and daughters of God. What he is saying is that now we are his children and the world does not know us. But when he returns, we will see him as he is in his glory. And then it will be clear as day that Jesus is the God-man and king and that we are God's children. As God's children, we have been given the hope of our king's return. If you have placed your faith in him, Jesus the king has saved you for himself He's made you a part of his people, and now you're included in those who await his return. As God's children, we now have this certain hope, an expectant and joyful hope of his return and our being glorified as we see him as he is. And this hope is not stale or stagnant or dead. This hope is alive, and it produces something in us. Continuing in, in verse 3, the end of verse, uh, yeah, the end of verse 3, or sorry, just verse 3, the, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope of Christ the King coming back purifies himself as he is pure. See, the propeller of Christians striving for holiness is not a legalistic fear of punishment or a self-centered earning of favor. No, what compels us to purify ourselves and our lives is the certain hope that our king is coming back. So Christian, or believer, or little child, the ultimate motivator for purifying your life is not fear or guilt, but it's the knowing that your Lord is coming again. If you're at a place where you're lethargic to kill sin, I know at times I can be, it feels too tiresome or too discouraging to continue battling, or that temptation just feels too strong. Look forward to the return and the coming of your king. There is a day coming when all will be revealed, 
and will see him not by faith, but by sight. And we will be made like him, and our belonging to him will be clear as day. God's children, because of our hope in our King Jesus returning, practice righteousness. God's children, practice righteousness. Point number two, we verses four through six. This is the, the long one. Remaining in unrepentant sin proves someone was never of God. Verses four through six, I'll read them again. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. We want to look at these verses together to to see what they mean, to see what they're saying. The first thing we want to clarify is what is John not saying? What is John not saying in this? Well, first, he's certainly not saying that anyone who still struggles with sin has neither seen him or known him. How do we know that? Well, John, just earlier in chapter 1, said that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Plus, from personal experience, I think we can all attest that we still struggle with sin. It's still present in our lives. So what does that mean? That, that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Well, we can certainly understand from our ESV translation that, that I'm reading from, that those born of God will repent after sin. That This is true. Believers will confess and repent of sin. But I think there's a little more to see in these verses. In a literal translation, it, it reads, everyone who is remaining in him does not sin. And later in verse 9, it reads, everyone who has been begotten of God, sin he does not. In a different translation, it reads, whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. It doesn't talk about keep on sinning, but simply says sin. And these kind of statements make the hairs on the back of our neck kind of stand up. Like, that sounds off. That sounds like hair. What do you mean? Are we supposed to reach a sinless perfection or else we don't know God? Well, that can't be. Well, then what is it? Well, the most helpful answer I found in studying for this text is that the sin being referred to in these verses is unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. The ESV gives us a helpful aspect of this when it says keeps on sinning, pointing to an unrepentant heart. But ultimately, I think what John is referring to in these verses is not a specific length of time in sin or even what might appear to be a habit or habitually sin, but what he's saying a believer cannot do is the type of sin that he calls lawlessness, the type of sin that leads to death, namely unrepentant sin. He's saying that those who abide in him will not remain in unrepentant sin. Those truly begotten of God will sooner or later repent of sin and live in righteousness. We see this same idea later in the letter when John writes that if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. 
And that's what he's talking about here. Unrepentant sin that leads to death. But that's the type of sin that believers cannot do. They cannot sin in this type of way. On a personal note, I, I know of five different accounts of believers who turned from the Lord and lived in sin, some of them even, even for years, but by the grace and faithfulness of God, repented of sin and turned back to God and are now practicing righteousness. So God's children practice righteousness. When we sin, we repent. Whether it's Lord willing immediately or after some time, those begotten of God practice righteousness. Well, point number two, remaining in unrepentant sin proves that someone was never of God. And now we, point, we go to point number three, verses seven through ten. Your life points to who your father is. Your life points to who your father is. As a comforting and reassuring it is to know that the Lord is the one who perseveres his children and brings them to repentance. It is a dangerous thing to find yourself living in unrepentant sin. Verses 7 through 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we do not see a person's heart and we cannot know if sin is going to be repented of in the future. Only the Lord knows. But what we do see John is lifting up is not irrelevant and not unimportant. And he says, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Your life is revealing of who you belong to. And there's only two options. If you look at verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Like we saw earlier, our conduct will be in line with the nature of our Father. Everyone who practices righteousness, like we read earlier, has been born of Him. Speaking of God. And now we see whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. What we believe and how we live are not isolated from one another. They are a package deal. In fact, they are so interconnected that how we live is a good gauge to know if we really believe what we claim to do, what we claim to believe. You cannot be begotten of God and in sin and remain there. You cannot have a, a foot in both camps and think you can stay there. And notice how John starts this section. He says, little children, let no one deceive you a different translation reads, let no one lead you astray. John is saying, this is not true. Don't listen to anyone that says, you can do things that are contrary to God and be in fellowship with Him. And you can just stay there because God's not really concerned with that aspect of life. No, he's saying this is not true. And to press it further, John gives unavoidable reasoning as to why this is the case. 
We saw earlier that Christ appeared in order to take away sins. And now at the end of verse 8, if you look with me, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. He shares no space with him. He makes no allowances for him. A person cannot claim to be of Christ by word, but live life doing the works of the devil. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. We see this same idea as earlier, that those who are born of God do not remain in their sin, but ultimately repent. Not that they do not sin, but that they not remain in it unrepentantly. And why is this? We see again, because God's children have a new nature. Because there is no sin in God, and we are now children of His. And there is no sin in Him. In verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, John is holding up our lives as demonstrations of our faith. Practicing righteousness is a link that points to the righteous Father. If God is a righteous Father, therefore you practice righteousness. Because you're his child, you look like him. And those who live in sin, John is saying, they look like the devil, who are showing a nature that is like that of the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. And speaking of those who are not of God, he finishes this section with, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Which gives us a segue for next week as we consider love for one another as one of these three helpful evaluations to see if we are in the faith. So God's children practice righteousness. Remaining in unrepentant sin proves someone was never of God. And your life points to who your father is. Your life points to who your father is. By way of application, I'd like to just address everyone here and wherever we might find ourselves. And first group, believers, specifically believers who are burdened by sin, who are weighed down. If, if you are sitting there thinking, Jimmy, brother, thank you. I, I trust that you wanted to be encouraging, but really hearing this just puts me down. If I had to describe my life, I don't think righteous would be a, a word that I would use. Brother or sister, Remember that practicing righteousness does not mean we've reached a point of perfection or sinlessness. And you might respond, but look at how often I sin. Look at how often I fall back into this. And I think this text would respond, look at how often you repent. Look at the Lord's gracious faithfulness that brings you back every time. And you continue to walk and you continue to press in Him. And you continue to practice righteousness. A brother once told me, don't scorn the Lord's work in your life. And yes, sin is discouraging. And sin is demoralizing. Don't scorn the Lord's work in your life. Look at how he's grown you. Look at how by his grace and power, your life, though having times of sin, and even long-lived struggles, 
is marked by a battle and a striving for and growing in holiness. And zooming out, it's evident that you practice righteousness. Be encouraged. Even if you struggle with sin like we all do, even if it weighs on your heart, be encouraged that the Lord is faithful. If you are, if you are here and, and you, are, you find yourself just coasting through or passively just kind of waiting or thinking to yourself, I, I believed in the Lord and I think my life looks pretty okay and I think now I'm just kind of waiting for Him to, to come back. Brother or sister, a word of exhortation for you from verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Brother or sister, there is no passivity in Christianity. In the words of one pastor, the mark of a born-again Christian is, I hate my sin, and we make war on it. The certainty of our hope in Christ should cause us to continue to put sin to death. It's not over. You're not done. You can't sit back. We don't have the time or the luxury to coast. Our Lord is coming. And we who hope in Him ought to be purifying ourselves as He is pure. If you find yourself complacent or apathetic to holiness in your life, ask the Lord to forgive you and to vivify in you the hope of our coming Lord, that it would produce in you a zeal to purify your life as he, is pure, as he is pure. And I think we're all prone to this. I know I am. To at times get lazy and sit back and, and think I can coast. May the hope of our Lord coming back produce in us a zeal to kill sin in our lives and to purify ourselves as he is pure. Now, if you're, if you're here today and you would call yourself a Christian, but don't really have much concern for God's claims or commands in your life, you might think to yourself, well, my faith is spiritual, and he knows I believe. Sure, I do X, Y, or Z that the Bible says is bad, but, but I'd say I'm a child of God. Friend, God's word says that your mouth says that God is my Father, but your life just negates that claim. And tragically, it actually says, actually, it's the devil that's my Father. And before God's gracious intervention in any of our lives, we were all there. No one here is born good. We were, we were all in the same predicament. But there is mercy in Christ to forgive you. And there is power in the gospel to actually change your heart. So that X, Y, or Z thing lose value in your eyes. And the Son of God, who, who you now would see rightly, has infinite value to you. There is mercy in Christ to forgive you. And there's power in the gospel to actually change your heart. Don't hold on to things that are going to lead you to death. They're not worth it. Repent of these things and, and believe in Jesus Christ and receive His gift that is not death, but it's eternal life in Him. Two more. If you are sitting here today, if you're visiting or if you're new, if you're sitting here and you would not call yourself a Christian, but you, you, you see your life and, and you're like, well, I don't really subscribe to the whole you know, cross and Jesus thing and the born, born again thing. If it works for you, that's wonderful. But I, I don't think I subscribe to that. Um, but when I look at my life, I, I think it's pretty good. I, I look at my life and actually what you're saying today, preacher, it, it makes me feel pretty okay. 
I think to put it in your words, I practice righteousness. I, I pay my taxes. I recycle. I'm, I'm not cheating. I'm, yeah, I think I'm okay. Well, friend, when it comes to righteousness before God, your morality is worthless without your sins being paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. This text is not giving you a green light or a thumbs up to continue as you are. This text is talking to those who have already placed their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He is the only one who can save us. Your upright life does not impress God. He is perfect and man's perfection. Don't trust in your own goodness. Trust in Christ who died for sinners. He was the only one who lived perfectly. He was the only one who was pleasing to God in all ways. And He's the one who died on the cross and paid for the sin that you and I commit. Don't trust in your own uprightness or righteousness. Trust in Him and receive His. That's His promise. And lastly, if you're sitting here and, and you know or remember a time when you placed your faith in Christ and you knew the sweetness of His forgiveness, of fellowship with your God because of Christ and what He's done for you, and sometime in your walk, whether be a traumatic experience or just a slow isolation and growing cold, you distance yourself from the Lord and now you find yourself snared in sin and in, in what seems to be trapped in sin. Friend, I, I would plead with you to repent. Remember, those begotten of God cannot keep on sinning. Please let go of what you're doing and, and come home to the Father. If that is you, talk to anyone here. We would love to come around you, love to, to help you walk in that. Let go of what you're doing and, and come back to the Lord that, that, that you know. Trust in His forgiveness. Trust in His mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we, uh, we pray uh, specifically for yeah, each, each one of us here that you know, wherever we might be, Lord, that your word would encourage and comfort and uplift, that we would be able to rest in your faithfulness and in your kindness, that we would see the ways that you have been faithful, the ways that you keep bringing us back to walk with you, the grace and strength that you give to continue to kill sin, Lord, may we not give in to despair. May we look to you and, and trust in your word. Father, if any of us are growing complacent, we pray that the hope of our coming of Lord Jesus Christ would incite in us a desire to make ourselves pure as he is pure. And Father, if anyone here does not know you, we pray that they would come to know you, that they would stay and talk, that the gospel would be proclaimed. We pray that you would save anyone who, who does not know you yet. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.